I know they'll have a good time learning. Uh, we're going to have a good time hearing from God as well. And uh, by now, we have all heard that it's a new year, so I won't dwell on that too, too much. But uh, as a church, we started preparing for this new year, um, this bold new decade, a few months ago, if you remember. Uh, we laid out an entire vision for our new year. Um, and if you're new to us, um, there'll be a link on our Facebook page with those messages from last November that kind of set out a uh, kind of an idea and a, a cast of vision over this new year. Last Sunday night, you'll remember, we came together and did a re quick recap and reframed that vision. Um, and we had a great time on New Year's night uh, celebrating uh, the, the beginning of a new decade, uh, 2020, not just a new year, but a new decade. And we prayed, about the, prayed for the strength um, and for the foresight to maintain this 2020 vision. Um, and, and we're going to have to do a lot of praying, a lot of uh, preparing for what's ahead. Uh, and most of you know this, but as we enter a new decade, uh, many things will compete for our attention, and many things will compete for our affection. And there's going to be a lot of things that will offer us direction and fulfillment, or the idea, or the picture of fulfillment. But we believe we believe as God's people, we have come to know that nothing compares. Nothing compares with what God offers us, and no one compares to who He is. Nothing competes with what He offers, and no one compares to who He is. And as we enter this new installment of the Roaring Twenties, the good news is that our God is not stuck behind us. He's not stuck in some bygone era. He is present. He is alive more than ever. He's right here with us in 2020, and he's already in 2021. He's already in 2025. He's already in 2029 waiting for us. He has the entire decade already figured out. As we begin this new year, as we begin this new decade, we've come to the right place because if we're going to maintain our 2020 vision, if we're to have clarity and conviction, passion and purpose, we're going to have to stay ready Stay awake and stay aware. Stay focused and stay attentive. Again, the good news is that our God does not slumber nor sleep. Our God does not get bummed or psyched out. He's not discouraged the way the world might be right now. He doesn't lack the motivation that he needs to take on a new decade. He's excited. He's got mighty things in the works. So we need to tune in to him more than ever before if we're going to be a part of his 2020 activity. A verse that we looked at the other night that I want to show you before we look at our text. It's from the book of Amos, and some of you maybe have never read Amos before. Some of you uh, maybe just found out Amos was in the Bible. Um, but we're going to try to make Amos a little famous with this shout-out um, this morning. Um, listen to this word that God gave his people 2,700 years ago um, when they were going through a tough time. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. As in Zion or Jerusalem is the epicenter for God's activity, his word came out of the temple, and now his word has been completed and has been copied down, and we have mass-produced it, and we all hold a copy of it right now, right? His word still speaks prophetically through his church, through his messengers. So just in case you're worried about 2020, and maybe you're wondering, you know, what's in store... Maybe you're walking into 2020 without a vision, without direction. Don't be afraid. God is alive as he's ever been. He's not worried. He's not dreading the future. He's excited about it. And his word is roaring over us. And I know one place it's going to be roaring every single Sunday here at Risen Church. 
We are people of the book. We love God's word. You all love God's word. And we love even more that it's not static nor dead. It's alive just like he is. And when we open God's word, we believe the Holy Spirit moves from page to person, from pulpit to people, and God makes it matter to us. He speaks to us in a fresh and powerful and impactful way. And since I know that God's voice and God's spirit and God's word are always roaring over us, I started praying a while back for God to lay a special word and a truth on us and on my heart for 2020. To reveal from the scriptures, to give us a word, a rally cry, a theme, something to hold on to and come back to and lean on. A place to wait from and from which we can anticipate what God is going to do. And as I've been studying and praying, a word began jumping off the page at me because it's all over the Bible, especially in a couple locations that we're going to look at. The word that I believe God has laid over us for 2020, straight from his word, straight from the Bible, is this word, behold. Now, behold is a word that maybe you don't use that much. Maybe you've read it a lot. Maybe it's, uh, it's been replaced with little uh, similar words. Behold can mean see, as in, did you see that? Behold can mean look, as in you should look at that. Behold can mean bask in and soak up everything you can at just what you saw. And if you want to know what definition we're going, for, going with for behold, it's all of them. And I believe there is something, there is something amazing for us to behold in 2020 as a church and as believers. 2020 instantly makes us think of sight and vision, doesn't it? Well, I want it, I want God, and God wants for us as well. God wants us to instantly think of looking for and looking at beholding Him in this new year. We gather to worship to behold Him. We open His Word to behold Him. We pray beholding Him. We serve and do ministry beholding Him. We do it all in the light of His glory and the amazing power and might. Now, think about how overwhelming... And how blinding the sunrise can be sometimes in the mornings. Maybe on your morning commute, if you're like me, I live in West Lincoln, so I'm, when I'm coming to town, the, the sun is just blinding me, and even the visor and everything doesn't keep it from getting in my line of sight. Maybe you, your, your home, like mine, is positioned to where the, the, the main windows of the living room is where the sun can just beam right down and blind you as you're sitting at your table in the morning. Listen, whether you're driving or maybe the way it comes into your house, Sometimes the sun can just overtake and dominate your vision. And it's my prayer and it's our goal as a church to make God's glory so bright that it overtakes and dominates our entire vision. We believe that every single day, clear or overcast, blue skies or gray skies, we can behold the Lord every single day and receive this sort of light and communication, experience and power and presence from Him if we rise up each day with a behold attitude and with a behold eagerness. I truly believe the best is yet to come for every single one of you. Every single day we can pray and pronounce, Behold, 2020, the best is yet to come because God is near, because God is here. The Lord showed me this word and this theme from a passage that I've asked you to open up to. And I wanted to kind of tell you up front what he showed me from this text. And I want to, sh want to share this text with you, though, and, and kind of give you the background information about it. Um, I've read this passage a hundred times. I've probably preached from it a dozen or so times. You've heard it and read it a hundred or more times as well. But he showed me something in a brand new way, a, brand, a fresh way. And, and again, 
The book John um, is named after the author of the book. His name was John. Of course, that's why they named the books like that. Pretty simple, right? But John, um, there's a lot of Johns in the Bible, especially there's two Johns in this, that we're introduced to in this chapter. Uh, John was the son of Zebedee, um, and the way the ancient world worked is if you were the son of Zebedee, your name would have been John Zebedeeson, right? Um, some people still have last names like this, Davison, right? Some, Jackson, those are similar kind of vestigial uh, naming uh, conventions from the ancient world. But John, we know him as John the son of Zebedee, uh, but John, the writer of the book, was John Zebedeeson. But he was a follower, we believe, that he was a follower of another John, a John that we're introduced to in this first chapter, and you all know this guy as John the Baptist. Now, his last name wasn't Baptist. His dad wasn't named Baptist. His dad was actually named Zacharias. So John's name would have been John Zacharias, John Zacharias. And, uh, now, you probably have been told that John the Baptist was this super holy man, way better than you, way smarter than you, so maybe you're intimidated by him and you don't want to talk about him because he just kind of, you know, he's this loud preacher that kind of made you feel like you, you know, don't have a place. But John the Baptist is actually a really relatable guy. John was a preacher's kid, or a priest's son. He was educated and expected to enter into the priesthood, but around the time that he would have entered the priesthood, he walked away from the temple and from all that he had been brought up to be. John was fed up with the Jewish religion, this system of doing the same thing and getting nowhere and finding nothing from God. And God had been silent for so long. And John went into exile down by the Dead Sea and began praying and seeking for God. He felt something new was on the horizon, something crazy was about to happen. And of course it was. God was in fact working behind the scenes. We don't know how much John knew about it, but God was working and setting the stage for something amazing. John, felt, John went to live in the wilderness. He was a vagabond. He wore camel skins. He ate honey and locusts like a bear. John started, having, uh, started hearing from God, and yet, yes indeed, something big was on the horizon. Something new was about to happen, and, and John began calling out to people, just strangers that walked by, crowds that he would enter into. John had a pretty simple message, this religious word that we get kind of scared of and get intimidated by, but it's really not a scary word or a bad word at all. John's message was repent, and repent just means to get ready, prepare for, as in turn away from the old way that you've been doing things and getting no results out of, turn away from the way you've been living and getting nowhere therein, turn away from the old, expect something new, turn towards God, and expect something new, exciting, reviving, and refreshing. John had been raised to do what generations had done, but he took the risk and started seeking God, believing the scriptures actually told of something yet to come. John started amassing crowds as he preached this message of expectation and anticipation, pointing to each day's new dawn as potentially bringing what they were waiting for. Now, they were all waiting for different things. John knew, though, that what God was going to bring to them was actually what they needed. And here's what I want to ask you this. What are you waiting for? Maybe 2019 didn't bring you everything that you wanted or prayed for or thought you needed. And you're thinking that 2020 has got to be bringing this to you. And you're waiting for it. John would come to you and say, I understand that you need that. And I understand that you want that. And I understand that you've been praying for that. But I want to ask you first, have you been looking for the Lord as well? And what if we, for just a brief moment, 
You can walk away if it doesn't do anything for you, but I, I believe you're going to stick around. What if, what if for a brief moment we would talk about what God is up to and maybe you would start waiting for Him and maybe what He has to bring you would supersede and overwhelm the other things that you thought you needed? What if you begin to put your needs and your wants in light of who God is and what God might be about to do? John took a temple tradition and put a new spin on it. Used to, when you entered the temple, you would wash your hands to be sure to be clean ceremonially for the procedures and the rituals. It was a way of saying to God, I'm ready, I'm clean, now you can do something. John was calling people to the river to repent and prepare for God, and he stood in the Jordan River baptizing or washing people in the river as a sign and a symbol of surrendering, being immersed in what God was about to do. John gained a huge following of people who were fed up with religion or had been told they had no place. Appealing to outcasts, one of those was John, the son of Zebedee, who was sort of a black sheep of his family. Uh, John and his brother James were not really the best at running their dad's fishing business, um, and, and they were called the Sons of Thunder. I don't know if they were in a gang or a rock band, but that would be a pretty cool name for a gang or a rock band. I don't know about you. Um, but they were, in, they were called the Sons of Thunder, and I don't know what that meant, but it probably wasn't a good thing. Uh, so John the Baptist began welcoming all these sorts of people, and they felt at home with John as they worshipped the Lord and waited for whatever he was about to do down in the Jordan River. From, but compared to most religious scenes, this looked more like Woodstock. This looked more like, you know, there was this long-haired guy in the river, you know, immersing people in the water. Everybody was captivated and declaring their faith. The religious people didn't think this was holy enough or didn't think it was formal enough. And one day, when nobody showed up to their services, they began to go down to John's big camp revival down by the river and to see what was going on. And little did they know who they were about to behold. John chapter 1, verse 19 says, This is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he took an Old Testament prophecy and he told the Jews that he was the fulfillment pointing to something even greater. The voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. He told them, our Bible, it's not finished. God's about to add the next section, the next testament. And God is starting this movement with me. Now those who were with him, were, those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered and said, I baptize with water, but the, there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 29 might be one of the most important verses in your Bible. It summarizes the entire word and counsel and message of God to us. 
These people were waiting for God to move. They were in position. They were prepared. They were ready. The text tells us that next day, the next step of God's plan, they were in position. God wasn't far behind. The next day, John saw Jesus, the one they had been waiting for. God in a body. God on full display. God was coming towards him. And the text introduces us to Jesus as coming towards this crowd who were eager and excited and expecting and worshiping God. Here's what I think we can extract from this. 2019's over. And as 2020 just begins, what can we expect from this new year? As the next day has come, what can we expect? I don't think I'm stepping out of line by saying this pretty declaratively. With every new day, Jesus is coming our way. Literally, his coming, his return, maybe, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but in a spiritual sense, in a sense just like he approached these by the river, Jesus comes your way every single day. With every next day, Jesus comes your way. If you read John's Gospel, he loves using this phrase, and the next day, and the next day, and every time the next day comes, Jesus is always there doing something new. He never retires, he never flames out, John began the gospel by looking back throughout history, even to creation, and says Jesus has always been. He is God. He became a man. John assures us that Jesus steps into every day. He's not just in the history books, not just in the holy book. He's not just a relic or a memory. He's alive and he's coming towards us in every new day. I think John's word to us is that we can expect for Jesus to show up and be present in our lives every single day. That doesn't mean there won't be hardships or problems. It just means that Jesus will be there too. But the next part of verse 29 is what's so good. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's request is that we behold Him. That we look to Him. Jesus is coming towards you. Behold Him. Look at Him. Look for Him in every situation of life because He comes towards you on a mission to save you, to rescue you time and time again. Talks about sin. This sin refers to, and sin is behind all the flaws, all the failures, all the fights of this world. Jesus is working every day to defeat sin and free us from its authority, from the cross forward. Sin's debt has been paid. The penalty has been taken care of, but it continues to try to eat at us and break us away from God. And Jesus works actively every single day to defeat and free us from the consequences and the authority of sin. When we behold Him, we find hope and we find help. We find ambition and motivation to not give up, but to keep on fighting. Again, John 1.29 summarizes the entire Bible. It gives us a timeless invitation from God. God is coming towards us, not running away. His name is Jesus. He is the full revelation of God. There is no other way to know God. Jesus is God, the Lamb of God, who took our sin as in He took our place and He paid our penalty so we can fearlessly and fiercely look into 2020 beholding Jesus, our Lamb. Just think of the difference it could make if we looked for and focused on Him every single day. 
The promise from God is that Jesus shows up every day. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago to forgive you of every wrong you've ever done. He rose three days later to deliver you from the bondage of sin. Forty days after that, He sent His Spirit to fill the hearts of every believer from that day forward. Salvation in full, forgiveness, deliverance, and the opportunity for sanctification, a Spirit-filled life, they're a done deal. That's a past tense accomplishment by God. Promises were made and promises were kept. He shows up every day to make sure you've heard the good news, received the good news, and can experience the good news. He knows we're prone to forget, so He shows up every day to remind us. All we got to do is behold Him every day, look for Him, call out to Him. Now, the reason a lot of newer translations, they take behold and make it something different, but the word behold carries a dramatic weight. It's more than just a glance. It speaks of looking intently and focusing. It speaks of clearing the stage and giving place and making room and giving Him all the stage. What if we did that every day in 2020? What if we just did that one day a week? For some of us, that would be a big difference, wouldn't it? We'd find Jesus every day. We'd experience Him every day. We'd never go a day without His presence or His power actively making a difference in our lives. Since Jesus has already done the hard part, He's already made this possible, and He comes looking for us from heaven every day. Our part isn't that hard, but some will make it hard. Some will add silly and foolish burdens to our backs. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to your emotions every time. We just have to act on faith, walk by faith, and trust in what He's already done, proven and provided. And when we act on faith, the Holy Spirit has permission and ability to work in our lives, to break down those walls, part those waters, slay those giants. And when we start singing about Jesus and praying to Jesus, reading and reciting words of Jesus, our hearts catch on fire and our worlds will change. Because we're beholding Him. And when we behold Jesus, He takes hold of us captures our attention, captures our affection. So our goal in 2020 is to behold Him and bask in and delight in and trust in Him. The tense of this word behold is unique. It can be read as both past, present, and future. As in we're beholding Jesus, we get the full picture of His work. It's like an overhead parade picture. You can see the beginning, you can see the middle, you can see the end. That's security, isn't it? That's confidence that, hey, I know where it started, but I know where it ends, and he's in control of the whole thing. Maybe you've got some stuff in your past that makes you wonder. Every time you try to look at him, you think, you know, I don't know. We don't have to worry if we've got a bad past because Jesus goes back farther. He was God before it. He's been God since it. He's forgiven you of it, and he can set you free from that guilt and that shame. And if you're looking into your future and you don't know what it's going to hold for you, I promise you this, we don't have to wonder if we'll have a good future because Jesus holds the future. And in the here and now, no matter what comes against us, no matter what comes upon us, we can look higher and beyond because no matter what surrounds us on any given day, Jesus surrounds us and He surrounds our enemies too. In the ancient world, there used to be a watchman on a tower that would look over the horizon especially on top of the mountains that the cities used to be built in the valleys of, because the watchmen would see if there were armies coming over the hills. 
And when the armies would come over the hills, they would blow the trumpet and they would secretly, you know, successionally send a word down to the city to get the troops ready. David, in, the, in one of the Psalms, says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Yeah, the armies may be coming over those hills and I hear all the trumpets blowing and I know everybody's afraid, but my help comes from God. The hills might be high, but heaven's even higher. I want to show you one more set of verses before we end that complement this text from John. I think it really will cap off this message and kickstart our mission. All throughout God's Word, we find men and women who took the chance, who took the risk to step out of their comfort zone and be believers. But not just believers, but they were beholders. What set apart someone in the Bible wasn't whether they were a believer or not. Plenty believed, but they stopped there. But it's what they did with their faith and how they encountered and experienced their God. They weren't just believers, but they were truly beholders. Beholders are the ones that don't just believe, but they build arcs to carry God's people to safety when a, th- when a flood threatens the world. Beholders don't just believe, but they raise up against challenges and face the impossible, and they raise their staffs at the ocean, trusting God can part the waters. Beholders don't just believe, they look up at the sun setting and the battle and raging, and they command the sun to stand still to give the extra light they need to win the battle. Beholders don't just believe, they pick up stones and go face giants with slingshots. Beholders don't just believe, they obey even if it costs them and survive the most fiery furnaces in the most fierce lion's dens. Beholders don't just believe, they keep their eyes on Jesus and they catch a glimpse of what God is up to and they declare, I want in on that too. Every day they rise up with one mission. Behold the Lamb of God. Today I choose to seek Him, find Him, and stay with Him. They find boldness and strength and grace to do the impossible. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of beholders, let us lay aside every way in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The phrase, keep your head up, is often used to encourage runners in races. This isn't just a psychological, motivational thing, but studies have shown that the posture of your neck and your head impact your ability and efficiency in a race. Of course, keeping your eyes on the finish line helps, but there's actual physical evidence that slouching your neck and holding your head down puts intensified pressure on your spine and thus your whole body. Our oxygen and heart rates are greatly adversely affected. Point is, when we hold our heads down, when we allow things to bog us down and drag us down, we run slower, we perform worse, and we won't endure. What drags you down? What causes you to hold your head down in life? Some kind of vice? Something from your past? Somebody else's expectations of you that you'll never meet? The word there for weight speaks of an encumbrance, something that literally is dragging behind, holding you back. The word there for cling so closely is a word that can mean easily entangling, distracting, binding, consuming. You may think you hold on to it, but it really holds on to you and debilitates you. 
Maybe somebody has an opinion of you that is holding you back. Maybe you're carrying around some stuff that's weighing you down and not adding any benefit to your life. And why? Because we've been told we'll never be able to do any better because the enemy tells us that we cannot break free. Listen to this advice from the Word of God. Looking to Jesus... Same word there, behold, but it's in a, it's in a form that, that speaks of changing our nature. It's modifying who we are. It's a verb that says you can break out of this bondage. You can look to Jesus, and by looking to Him, there's a freeing, there's a work being done with this 100% focus on Him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. When we're a beholder, when we delight in and bask in and trust in when we behold Him, we see and look and focus on Him, who He says we are, what He says we can do, what He's done for us and what He can do through us, we can overcome. That word perfecter, to play on words there, don't think the end of our race. The word can also be translated finisher. Think of a finish on a coat of furniture, a finish on a product that adds to its enduring quality, that adds to its shine. That Jesus, every single time we look at Him, He adds another coat, He adds another sheen, He adds another finish on us. The finish isn't the end, but it's just the next step every single day. When we look to Jesus, it's like we're getting a constant new coat, new sealer, new covering, refreshing and reviving and renewing. See, there's no security in self-esteem or social approval, only in Jesus. If you want to shine bright in this world, the rest of what's offered to us will just grunge us up and drag us down, but Jesus puts a fresh coat of paint that makes us stand out and break out. That's why the rest of that verse says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just as Jesus endured, just as Jesus focused on His goal for joy, the same is true for us. There's a God to behold. There's joy set before us. But here's the thing. You can't always, and you won't always see the joy, but you can always see Jesus. If we always behold Jesus, we will eventually take hold of joy. But just because joy isn't written on the wall and flowing down the hills doesn't mean that it won't come. Joy will never be the outcome if Jesus isn't the beginning, though. Every single day, every next day, Jesus is looking for us. Are we looking? Are we seeking? Are we beholding Him? And God's Word to us, His invitation to us for 2020 is behold, take hold of God's best. We find Jesus every day by believing that God has our best in mind, applying His truth, following His way, believing the best, being the best, giving our best, beholding the best. If you still got your Bibles open there, read with me one last time as we hear this invitation again in John 1, 35 through 39. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And many believe John, Zebedee, was one of these. Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them follow him, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come 
and see. Jesus gives that same come and see guaranteed invitation to you and I every single day. Come and see. Behold the Lamb. A verse that we looked at the other night. God says back in Isaiah, Behold, I am doing a new thing. That new thing was Jesus. And that new thing still is open and inviting us today. Behold the Lamb, take hold of true eternal life. Church, I believe the best is yet to come. Maybe you want to make a vow that you're going to be a beholder in 2020. As you've heard God's word, as you read, read his word, as you hear this challenge and this invitation to come and see and behold the lamb. Maybe you want to behold that lamb today. Maybe you want to just come and bask in his glory and his presence this morning. We're going to have a song, but we're, during this song, we're going to have an invitation that if you want to just come forward and make a public a profession of your faith, maybe for the first time, if you want to behold Jesus and you want to soak up all that he has for you, you want to give him your life and trust him as your savior, that invitation is for you today. But for everybody else, for those of you that do this week after week, week after week, maybe you need a fresh look at Jesus. And maybe you've gotten one this morning and you want to come forward and you want to make a statement that this year is going to be a year of beholding the Lamb. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this invitation. Lord, thank you that John pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, there he is. Keep your eyes on him. Look to him. He's the one who starts. He's the one that will finish. Trust in him. Don't turn away. Not to the left, not to the right. He is all you need. Father, I don't know where everybody's at today in their walk with you or in their faith journey. Maybe somebody is just completely lost and they would confess it. But they found their way here and that's because you brought them here and you've given this invitation to them to behold the Lamb. You have put Him on the cross. You have rose Him from the grave. You have seated Him on the throne and you say to the world, Behold the King of kings. He is your Savior. He is your King. He is your Lord. Believe and behold this good news. Father, maybe somebody needs to believe and behold this morning for the first time, but maybe somebody wants to rededicate their life as well and just have a time of commitment and renewal. Lord, I pray you would be sovereign in this invitation. As we sing this song about running to you, we come to you, Lord, in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.